Let's pray and then we'll go, okay? So Advent 2, it's all about Jesus coming back. And, and you remember, uh, often you get the texts of Jesus, often the Palm Sunday text is the first text. It's this whole notion of Jesus coming back to take care of business. So raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near, Luke 21, 28. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your Son, you revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away. Until then, we beg that you would keep us steadfast in your word and in true faith. Graciously guard us from all sin, preserve us from all temptation, so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life. But at all times, in watchfulness and prayer, we await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of our eternal salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen. So that's always, uh, you know, these always come up once a year, and I'm always struck by this particular one, uh, how it, uh, don't let us get overcharged by what's going on uh, in our lives. Just let's try to pay attention to what's most important. Can I give you that? So that's a nice prayer. Okay. Uh, I was supposed to do this for Ghana last week, and I forgot because we got busy next door and had some fun. Uh, so, you know, double up. Here we go. This will go to Paul Finn and uh, mark that. And then just questions about anything before we get started? You got anything cooking you want to know about? All right. Sure? Everybody okay? My guess is we'll probably go uh, two more weeks after this, and then we'll take a few weeks off for Christmas. We'll come back in January. We'll see what happens. Uh, we need to begin to have our thoughts turn toward moving to our new space. Dave Crawford was kind enough to remind me that the early church fathers always considered themselves on the way somewhere. They talked about themselves as sojourners, which is people who were on the way. And they always rejoiced about where they were, but they always knew they were going to another place. So in some sense, uh, that's where we are. We're, you know, we've had a good run in this place. Many of you have been here many, many years. In fact, some of you have grown up in this particular building, and yet we're about to move on. This will be, you have to think about this, this will be your last Christmas here, you know, with all that that means. It's your last Advent here. Um, so, uh, you know, it's always, uh, it's always, there's always some sadness, there's always some joy. You know, how do you engage that? And then changes in life always give you the chance to uh, do a better job with things or do things a new way or think things through, give a little bit of pause. And we need to think about, uh, you know, what we want to look like as we move next door. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I did some of this with the men at the men's retreat. There are some pieces here that I've lifted back out. Uh, and I want to talk about that again. But I also have put some other bits in here. So there will be a bunch of things to talk about. So first, I want to give you some homework for the next couple of weeks, okay? So number one, three bits of homework to keep you going. Now, if you page in, you remember we had a time downstairs where we just talked about what uh, sort of expectations you'd have and what the new church would be. Do you see that? It says Sunday, September 19th. You got that kind of at the end? You know, when I look at that, that's always a remarkable thing because you always just ask, yeah. Uh, it's always a remarkable thing because there must be, you know, 50 answers there. So here's your homework. If you were me and you read that list from the congregation, how would you consolidate it or organize it or group it or think about it or pattern it so that we could make some good use of that as we move next door? I have an idea, by my own idea, but I'm curious. So just this thing that says questions, if you just look at it over the next week or two, just look at that and say, 
if you had to sort of arrange that and say, this is what people think is important, um, what would be, and you can't have, you know, a dozen categories because that's not, that's too much to focus on. We need, you know, two or three things to focus on. How would you bring the primary concerns of what's on these two pages uh, into focus? And then, of course, beyond the focus is what you're going to do with that. So think about that. Another way to ask the question would be to say, as we move, we have a clean palette, so we have a chance to do things in a new way. What are the things we really want to do well? Or if, if we focused on some particular things, what would give us the most bang for the buck? Where should we put our energy as we go forward? What would make us, you know, in the words of Luke 117, a people fit for the Lord? How can we do that the best thing? Does that make sense? So just kind of look at those things. That's what you said. So I, I sort of say, you know, just look at that. Do what I do when I'm sitting at my desk and look, reading through that saying, okay, how can we be responsive to this? Even though, you know, there's so many of them. There's probably, you know, there must be 50 of them here at least. Make sense? So take a look at that. So that's your nearest homework. The next one is, um, from time to time, we just want to reflect back on being merciful. And uh, so I gave you, there was one time, you know, way back last March when we said, we sort of just, sort of just calmed down for a day and kind of reviewed and said, what does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean not to have any enemies? What does it mean to be hopeful? What does it mean to be forgiving? And I gave you that. That's the sheet that says Practical Mercies 10B. Um, because I think that's one thing that we want to be really good at. We want to be really good at being merciful and loving everybody. That's a very, very important thing. So I give you that a little bit to review. I've had a few emails over the months that have said, I just don't quite get this, or I can't make it work, or I don't understand what the next step is. So maybe, you know, a couple times a year we need to come back and remember what this looks like. Um, because if we want to, the only way you get good at something is you practice it over and over again. The, I mean, the way you get to be merciful is you act mercifully. And then you figure out where you're good and where you're not so good, and you try to clean it up, and you try to do a better job the next time. But you need some basic stuff like, nobody's my enemy. And the Lord can worry about justice. I'm going to be merciful. And yet, we know that we have responsibility to be just for our neighbor, so how do we work that out? So I just give you that to think about, please. Then the last thing is, uh, it's the very last page on the back page. You remember Joe Hansen long ago far away said, you know, um, one of the things we want to do better is uh, we want to be able to speak more clearly and think more clearly and do a better job of disagreeing and then a better job of sort of lining up together. And that's a very important thing to do in a church, especially in a congregation like this where you're all pretty high-powered, successful people, and yet you don't always agree on things. So I just sort of give you that back page to remember, um, you know, as we go forward, how to care for each other, and then we'll get to voters' meetings and how we'll sort of back and forth with things and, you know, how we go forward. So, you know, what we're aiming at, which is to make disciples and make them stronger, everybody agrees on that because that's what Jesus says, uh, how you can do that, you can do that a hundred different ways. We've chosen to do it in a particular way, which is to make a bigger space and, and have fewer services and, and, and really concentrate on word and sacrament and teaching. Um, so we've made some decisions, but we always have to make more decisions. We always have to make changes. We always have to be thinking. We always have to live within our means. How are we going to do that? So I just sort of give you that as a reminder. Every once in a while, we should just take a look at that and say, hey, that's what we said we wanted to do, so let's uh, pay attention. So three pieces of homework. Does that all make sense? Everybody okay?
But the first one will be the most critical one because we're trying to figure out, you know, we're not far away. I mean, we're not, you know, we're like 16 weeks or 20 weeks away from moving. We're not far away. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen in the next 20 weeks. Um, the staff is really consumed with a lot of the details, uh, but there are some other big things that need to be taken care of, like how to have you all be comfortable there and how to have you hit the ground running and how to include people that maybe didn't get included before and how to make sure everybody knows what's cooking. Uh, there's a lot of other things we gotta take care of. So kind of think about that. Okay, questions about any of that? Everybody okay? Yes, Mr. Lee. We will go over our homework in Bible study, um, maybe just at the beginning like this. Maybe we'll just take five or ten minutes. Because if I get feedback from you in real time, it helps me decide, it helps the governing board decide what we do next. I have some ideas, but if you come back next week and say, and I've, I've got those ideas from talking to a bunch of people, but this is even a bigger group, and if you come back and next week and you say something completely different than what we were thinking about, that's why we need to talk, because we've got to make sure that we're all on the same page, you know. It's an interesting, um, you know, churches need a vision. They need, they need a goal. They need a common purpose. They need a unity of belief. And churches are all different. This particular church, you know, we have a particular way of engaging things. We don't spend any time at all telling other people they're wrong or they should be like us. We spend a lot of time trying to explain why we do what we do because we think that makes the best Christians. We're just trying to do our best. We do it in a particular way. But it can't just be us thinking that way. We always need to kind of check back with you. Because my guess is you're a very serious Christian, and you want to become a particular kind of person. And our job is to help you with that. One way that we help you always is to just keep delivering the sacrament to you and reminding you what that means, that you're forgiven and Christ loves you, and that's for free, and that he wants you to live in a particular way. That's true for all of you. You know, part of, part of the reason you're here is because you're serious Christians. You know, you want to be serious about your belief. On the other hand, everybody is not the same, right? You're different than I am, different from her, different from Will Rob, different from her. So we have to try to um, boost everybody's comfort and um, uh, everybody's help everybody find a spot. That's what we're going to talk about today, even though we're all very different people. So that's kind of a pastor's practical job. And um, there's a lot of you, so we gotta figure out how to do that best. And we probably need to make more use of people like you too. So there's a lot cooking. Um, we just have a lot of balls in the air, but it's all good, and that's the good thing. I mean, the move and change and, you know, that's all good stuff, but it, it's, uh, we just want, you help us with a little bit of check if we do this. Everybody okay? Questions about anything else? So you should be marking your calendars Easter or before. Honestly, the sooner we can set an actual move-in date, the better it is. There's two or three big things that need to happen next door, which primarily involve people showing up and doing work. I mean, not our people, outside contractors doing work. They need to do that work before we can set a date with any confidence. When that work gets done, believe me, as soon as we can set a date, we will give you a date, because that focuses everybody's energy. So that's what we're aiming at, okay? All right, how you doing, everybody okay? All right, so from the top, some practical considerations and a bit of biblical direction. So I sort of gave this introduction to Mr. Lee. What I want to do is I want to talk to you practically about being a pastor and being a congregation and me working with you and you working together and all of us pulling on the same end of the rope. But there's also some biblical direction about that. And if we follow the biblical direction, 
things will, uh, they'll just go better for us because the Lord just blesses that more than we could sort of ever imagine. So one of the really interesting things, um, and we talked a little bit about this at the men's retreat, and then I had, I probably had 10 guys who said, can you do this more broadly? I didn't know of a better way to do it more broadly than on Sunday morning. So, you know, we're just going to talk about this. You guys, you 40 guys who are at the men's retreat, I probably got 25 of you here this morning. You're going to hear some of this again, but just kind of bear with us because it's important. If you all thought that was valuable, then it's valuable for a bigger group. So um, one of the really interesting things about being a pastor at St. John is how successful and good all of you are. And that brings a particular kind of uh, dynamic anybody who chooses to lead in this congregation or for to be a pastor in this congregation. You're different than any other um, you're different than any other congregation. You know, I always tell the new guys, you coach the team you've got, not the team you want. So there's no point in having this idealistic idea of what you want in the church. You coach the team you've got, not what you you know, not, not what you want. Um, and so, you know, the important thing is to try to mesh all your skills together for the good of the kingdom of God. Now, you're just very interesting folk. So um, look at the first bullet point under two. St. John folks are spectacularly talented, and most are used to leading in some capacity. One of the interesting things about being a pastor here is how, um, how successful you are, how much control you have in your own lives, especially whether you're a business person or an administrator or a teacher, you, you tend to have, in this congregation, you tend to have a lot of control in your own lives. You tend to be very focused, and you tend to know how to get things done. The problem with that is, of course, is that you don't always agree. I got 100 people here today. If I gave you a problem, I would have 110 solutions, right? That's good, in a sense. Although, let me tell you two stories. When I was a young boy here, when I still had hair, when I was, when I just, you know, I saw a picture of myself the other day when I came to St. John. I had hair at St. John when I was here. So I wonder, you know, I kind of look at myself like, what the heck happened? You know? <laughs> Inside every old person, there's a young person screaming to get out. Uh, you know? Uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, Charlie Mueller, you know, the old man from, the old, old man from Trinity Roselle, uh, I think kind of his practice was. It was it was part pastoral, part curiosity. I think he always he was a little more active around about the district at that time. He's still active in writing and stuff, but he popped in to see me one day. And we were talking about this and that. This is when I probably hadn't been here three or four months. And he said kind of an odd thing. He said, you know, he said, I'm always going to get more done at my church than you'll ever get done at your church, which is kind of a little bit of a pastoral throwdown. But uh <laughs> Now I was like, you know, you're an old guy. I could probably still take you. I still have hair. So, uh, you know, I said, really, why is that? He said, because in Wheaton you have all the generals, but I have all the sergeants. Okay? Now that's a very interesting observation because in, in many ways that's true. Um, when you kind of put things on the, on the big scale, you're all generals. You know, you're all used to saying, and then this is the next point here, which is the most interesting thing. This happened to me once a week for the first five years I was here. Somebody would make an appointment, come to my office and say, I have a great idea. Here's what you should do. Right? I mean, that's a typical general kind of talk. I have a great idea. Here's what you should do. The problem is, if that's 250 ideas, most of them didn't match. 
And what that does then is create a sense of frustration in people because they say things like, hey, I went to the pastor and I told him exactly what to do and he didn't do it and now look, right? But the problem is if 250 people come and say that, there's only one who thinks we got it right and then 249 who think maybe we could have bent, pushed, nudged and gotten it righter. See, you see, see so you see how that works? It's a, it's a difficult position and it's not a diff diff difficult position because you're good or because you're bad. It's a difficult position because you're actually very, very good at what you do. And I think kind of looking back over the years, that's been one source of distress. And maybe um, if we pay a little more attention to how Scripture speaks, maybe when big things come up in the future, we can do a better job of pulling on, 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 uh, <laughs> on the statement of the rope. As I'm telling you this story, I think of a story another story. Gosh, long ago, far away, when I was at Stanford, I had a good friend whose dad was the commander of the base that's just across the bay. He was a naval commander of the base just across San Francisco Bay. And I can't remember that. I don't think it's the Presidio. I think there's another name for it. Sorry? Might have been Alameda, yeah. I can remember because we were sitting in a restaurant. We could see it. We were talking about it. Could be. Um, in any case, he, he was telling me about this. There was some thing where they were at where a lot of leaders were invited, and it was, it was one of these Davos kind of things where you know all these very important people show up, and then they all kind of swing in together. Well, at some point, there was some skit going on, and his dad, who was commander of this thing, you know, he was building the building the uh, building the uh, kind of the stage for this, and they were painting and shuffling around. There's this voice behind him that says. Uh, could, I, could I help you with that? And he looks up and it's Henry Kissinger. <laughs> now that's kind of, a, you know, so there's Henry Kissinger saying, you know, I'd put a little paint on that for you. Uh, now see, that's a very interesting, you know, that's a, and that was when Henry Kissinger was in his prime. You know, this is, uh, you know, 30 years ago now. Um, I mean, that tells you something. Whatever you think of Henry Kissinger and all the rest, that sort of tells you something about people who know when they're to lead and know when they're to follow. So um, I sort of give you this then. Here's the reality. This is the bottom of the first page. Here, lots of folks are good at lots of things, but everybody's not good at everything. I'm not good at everything. And there are some things I shouldn't do the things I'm not good at, and there are some things I shouldn't get within 10 miles of. Right? But that's also true for you. You're spectacularly talented people, but you know, um, you know, if you're a wide receiver, you're not gonna punt. I mean, you're just not good at it. Doesn't mean you're not a good player. It's just like, we've got different ideas for our punting game, okay? So not everybody's good at everything. Not me, not you. So how do we humbly stay within our boundaries? And I would suggest to you that this is, in many ways, it is a question of humility. It is a question of being able to say, I'm probably not the best person for this, but that doesn't mean I won't play. It means I'll play in a different capacity. Can I put some paint on that for you? You know? So how do we stay within the boundaries of our confidence, competence as followers, but also, and this is very important, avoid the false humility of dodging leadership? Um, there are folks here who occasionally we say, hey, would you lead? And they say, you know, I don't, I don't think I will, or I'm not, you know what? Sometime you're just the man or just the woman we need. And uh, 
you really have to ask yourself, you may not want to, but it may be just the thing that you need to do. So this is a dual thing. Does that make sense? It's just very, I can put it to you in a sentence. It's very important for, for you to know when you're to lead, and it's very important when you know when to follow. Quitting is not an option. There are two options. One is leading, one is following. If you're asked to lead, you examine yourself, you see if you're fit, and you don't dodge that as an excuse not to lead. If you're asked to follow, you ask whether that's most important, and that's in fact what you do. Quitting is not an option, okay? You don't quit your marriage, you don't quit families, you don't quit your kids. You, I mean, life is filled with challenges, and challenges reveal character. And every challenge is an opportunity to exercise virtue. So see, I, I'm already sort of laying out for you what I think the boundaries are, which is in this particular community, you're so talented, one of the great challenges is making the best use of all of you. It's very difficult. Now, if you think this is just sort of business speak, it's actually not. I'm going to give you a couple of texts. If you open your Bible to uh, Matthew 8, we should, we should take a look at that. This is um, Jesus stuff. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm not going to give you a seminar on leadership. There's people in this congregation who could do that and do it spectacularly. It's what they do all day long. I'm just giving you uh, just some basic Jesus stuff. Uh, Matthew 8, we'll start. Matthew 8, um, 5 to 13. Hope I got my text right. Hold on here. Um, let's see here. Did I get it right? Yeah. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came up to him to ask his help. Sir, he said, a boy of mine lies at home paralyzed and racked with pain. Jesus said, I'll come and cure him. Isn't that interesting? Hey, I got, a, I got a boy. He's in bad shape. You're the only one who can do it. Jesus says, hey, I'll come and cure him. But the centurion replied, sir, who am I to have you under my roof? You need only say the word and the boy will be cured. That's a great statement of faith. I know and then this is the important part about leading and following. For I myself, under orders, with soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come here, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Or as you might um, have heard it shorthanded in other versions of the Bible, the centurion says, I know what it is to be in authority, and I know what it is to be under authority. I'm a man who knows what it is to be in authority, to lead, and I also know what it is to be a man who is under authority, to follow. I would suggest to you that one of the crises in leadership, um, and I, got, I will just say this, it was very nicely summed up by one of you, is really a crisis in followership, especially in a congregation like this, that many of us know what it is to lead. I know what it is to be a man in authority. I know what it is to lead. It's much more difficult in this congregation to know what it is to be a man under authority to follow. It's a very difficult thing for people who are very bright, very successful, lead in other aspects of their life. It's just very difficult. It takes a tremendous amount of humility and discipline. But I would suggest to you that if we're going to be a people, a community, a church, you know, if we're not going to be a group of individuals, but rather a group, a community. This is important for us. 
You should know, too, that this is a very common prayer at the Eucharist. In fact, this is the prayer that I say at the altar, and I think the other pastors do as well. This is a very common prayer that's said at the Eucharist before receiving the elements. Um, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, in this case, the roof of your mouth. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, but say the word and I will be healed. It's just a great little prayer before the Eucharist. It's in the liturgy. It's actually set for pastors to say. I mean, you could say it as well. You might have another prayer. But I just, I just want to observe this sing, single thing. There's ten things going on in this parable, but I just want to observe that biblically, Jesus was very respectful of the man who knew when to lead and when to follow, you know, when to take charge and when to let go, who knew himself and knew how that best could help. Jesus is very respectful of him here when he finishes up. Does that make sense to you? That's not genius. I mean, that's just basic biblical stuff. But really, that takes a, a fair amount of self-awareness. And um, it's okay because self-awareness always comes in confession. One of the great things about confession is beyond the sinfulness um, and talking to your friends about your sins or your past, or beyond that, it actually sort of gives you a very good picture of yourself. So I know what it is to be in authority. I know what it is to be under authority. So I'm at point number four then, finding your spot. And I just give you the two biblical options there. One is to lead. You're the centurion in charge of 100 men. Or follower. You're the centurion, and you got something you can't handle, which is somebody you love dearly who's about to die. And at that point, it's best for you just to follow. Do whatever you're told. Okay? So in any situation, this is point four, the first thing to know is whether you're a leader or a follower whether you're in authority or under authority, the first thing to do is find your spot. You still okay? Because I'm going to digress here for just a minute. I would suggest to you that one of the important things um, as we move next door is that all of you need to find a spot. Um, I have two things that happen often as pastor in this congregation. One is that I get people who are unbelievably connected. Do you know that on Sunday morning we have people that commute as far as two and a half hours to come to church here? Do you know that? Those are people who are connected. I mean, they'll commute two and a half hours. Bloomington Champaign is the farthest commute. Okay, That's a long way to come to church in the morning because you also have to drive back. I myself ask us if we're worth it sometimes. To be honest with you. When you talk about having your Sabbath, you know. The other side, though, is that people who don't get connected at all. You know, there's something that vaguely attracts them, but they never actually find their spot. So somehow, we all have to help. Well, we, well, we, we need to find our own spots, but we also need to help other people find our spot. Um, let me just pause and put that to you, just out of curiosity. How do you think that best happens? What do you say? I have my own idea, but I'm just curious what you would say. If you're helping somebody find their spot, how do you think it would best happen? Good. And when you say invite them, how is that you'd invite them? But how exactly are you going to do that? You're exactly right, so I'm just pressing you, because there's a there's hundred ways to say how. Do you have kids in your... Do you have kids in your um, yeah, you got grandkids at least. Oh, your kids are just tweeners, but you know what? 
this is going to be great. Like three Thanksgivings from now, your grandkids are going to sit at the table like this and talk to each other like this. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing when your kids are in the back seat and, you know, and they're, they're texting each other, which is one way to ask people. You little hipster. Really? Uh, how do we normally ask people to do things around here? How do we normally ask people? What, what do you say? Let's just press this a little bit. How do we normally ask? We say, why don't you sign up? So the board outside. What else? We have a pastor ask from the pulpit, a lectern, yeah, beforehand. What, what else? Right. Do you know 70% of the people who come to church come to church because somebody asked them nose to nose. Not because they got a door hanger, not because they got an email, not because they even got a phone call, not because they heard an announcement. 70% of the people who join the church, this should tell you something about where you put your church dollars in terms of getting new members. 70% of the people who come to church come to church because somebody looked them in the eye and said, would you come to church with me? My suspicion is that um, a lot of the things we do in terms of communicating with you just kind of wash over you because you're so busy. Don't let us get overcharged by all the aspects of Advent. My suspicion is that there's very less and less nose-to-nose. Would you like to come and do this with me? And there is more and more kind of hurrying around, and we sort of cover that up by different ways. Now, this is not going to be true in all cases because even if I say to my own kids, look at me, don't text me, <laughs> they still go, okay. So there does need to be some sensitivity to, you know, how people, how people engage each other. Uh, but there's, there's frankly still no um, substitute for a kiss and a hug. There's just not, you know. Yes, please. So, um, very nice comment. What, what we need to do is get to know people and find a, one aspect of the congregation that meets that, which is where they can feel comfortable, they contribute, they feel fulfilled. So my question is, you be me, which is my favorite game, right? Um, we have, you know, we have 17, yeah, we have 17 or 1,800 people on the books. Um, how are we going to do that? Because if I did one a day, thank you. I said, I think I said, I don't know what I said. I thought I said we. Uh, yeah, how are we going to do that? Good. Thank you very much for not, you know, because like your mom said, you got three pointing back at you. Yeah, yeah right. So, so. The whole congregation has to be engaged in that process. Right. Of getting to know people and matchmaking them with the congregation. Yeah, so we might, um, we might, you might at least begin to think about what that's going to mean to simply be hospitable to people who are around you. Not simply because you want to have a club. Um, I think I told you when I was in New Jersey, I told you about the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, didn't I? This is across the street from the painter at Princeton took me to dinner in the Joe DiMaggio room. They all grew up with Joe DiMaggio, and in this little place where they all had burgers, there was this little room and there was a bath, and it was like you had to be an Italian who knew somebody to get in this place. So Mario, the painter, took me there. Across the street from this little place was the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club. I said, hey, how's that working out? He said, 
actually, uh, they just closed. I said, really, why did they close? Because in Italian neighborhoods, especially New Jersey, usually get a lot of people. They said, well, you know, they had really rigorous standards for who could join. And they said, the last two guys couldn't find anybody who met their standards, so they just closed it down. <laughs> now, there are churches like that that end up like the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, right? The opposite would be if you somehow nose-to-nose people. But I can't nose-to-nose 1,700 people, which means um, you may have some homework to be doing. I'm going to start you on the next thing, point number five, because I want you to think about it for next week. Um, For me and for you, um, Scripture speaks about where it is that we're meant to be busy. Um, It's fairly easy to find the pastoral stuff, but I actually think it's fairly easy to find your stuff, too. Maybe that's not quite as obvious. Um, There's a couple of ways that pastors are spoken of in Scripture. There's a couple of Greek words for them. One is episkopos, from which we get episcopal. And you remember we did this a few years ago um, in a Bible study, but I just kind of remind you. One of that, you know, that word basically means, well, it's kind of a fascinating word in Greek, because in Greek it actually means when the gods arrive. Now, it's not when your bishop or your pastor arrive. It's not that, you know, your pastor is God. uh, Far from it. Uh, In fact, one of the biggest mistakes you could make is try to hold your pastor to that standard. However, it does mean in some sense, and and we speak of this, and I gave you sort of the fourth commandment in the large catechism, that your pastor speaks for God in some sense. Or your pastor says, what we say in absolution, in the stead, that means in the person of or in the place of, and for your advantage and by the command. So episkopos, overseer, is one way we speak of pastors. Another one is poimen, which is the word for shepherd. But interestingly, that Greek word also means managing director. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting little twist on the phrase. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever known anybody who's kept sheep, but a shepherd is an interesting job. Um, I once, when I worked in Colorado, knew a cowboy who said the worst, a, a real cowboy, Lloyd Gilroy, he's a real guy. That all he did his whole life. I had some friends who owned some ranches, and I worked for him a couple of summers. And um, I mean, these guys were real guys. Like, I once saw his wife, who was about 5'5 five, five and about 118 pounds, grab a calf like this, lift it up, and set it in the back of a pickup truck. I'm like, whoa, that's good. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of people they were. I mean, that's why I learned to brand cattle. It was, uh, in fact, I was thinking for a little fellowship thing here, we could brand our own cattle. We could put a thing across. You know, Angus, when you brand them, they catch on fire because there's so much oil in the hair, you got to pat them down. Anyway, um, uh, you know, being a, but he said the worst. He said the worst summer I ever had was the was the was the was the summer I signed on to be be to watch sheep in the mountains for. Uh, he said for 500 bucks and all the all the mutton I could eat. He said that was the worst decision I ever made in my life. You know, so uh, you know there is something going on there, and those those are fairly easy to find. I mean, there's a pretty frightening tick list for what a pastor should be, but I'll tell you what. I'll give this as your assignment for next week. What we all should be. And I guess in this case, I'll say what you should be is very nicely summed up in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And for next week, I'd love to have you read that. Um, Just read through it. And I've given you a couple of clues here about what the words look like as you you read through. You should be be able to identify some of those words. But I want to talk about that. 
probably Romans 12 was written after 1 Corinthians 12. So 1 Corinthians 12 is kind of the rough draft. And then when he writes again to the Romans, it looks like he's, he's been thinking about it a little longer. So I just give you Romans 12 as your spot in the congregation. So here's what I want you to do for your homework. Besides thinking about those first three things, put the story of the centurion next to Romans 12 and see where you end up. So next week we'll talk about Romans 12. We'll talk about some other stuff too. But I just, uh, I just want you to read that and sort of take it to heart as your own. You know, it starts out by saying you should be a living sacrifice, which absolutely makes no sense. Because a sacrifice, the first thing you do to a sacrifice is kill it. Yeah. But since Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, you're a different kind of sacrifice. You're a living, active sacrifice. What does that look like? See, the Christian life is never dormant. The Christian life, occasionally you need to pause. If you've had a tough go or been really beat up or been through some trauma, you need, if you had a death in the family or, but, you know, occasionally you pause. But the default for Christians is to be busy, busy, busy. Not overcharged, but finding their spot and working their spot. That's your default. You know, my goal, I hope, is to help each of you find that and then to find that in the midst of everybody else, and that's what will build community. But it'll be, be built next best nose to nose. The question is, how are you busy folks, all you generals, all you very you know, spectacular people, how are you going to find any time to be nose to nose? It, it makes the job difficult, but not impossible. If we get it right, it could be spectacular. So that's where I want to go. So read. If you have a large catechism, you can read the fourth commandment, too. If you have a large catechism, read that. But Romans 12, and then think about the centurion, okay? Come back next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.